0: Welcome to another discussion, another great Promo Kitchen podcast. We plan on staying in the apparel lane again today, and we have another fantastic guest. I am seriously fired up. As you know, my amazing co-host in Toronto, the OG of PK, (laughs) Promo Kitchen founding chef, chief rabble rouser is Mark Graham. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Hello,
1: lady and gent. How are you today? And Kathy, it's so great to have a fellow Torontonian on the podcast. Yeah, that's that's what
0: I was just about to get to. We are freaking out over here because I'm stuck in beautiful Arizona. It is pretty warm. I must rub that in your faces a little bit. But we're delighted and thrilled to have president and founder from Redwood Classics Apparel, Kathy Chang. Kathy,
2: oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Oh, Canada.
0: Kathy. (laughs) You guys, you have got the Toronto duo. We're lucky. Well, we're lucky to have you. Thank you for taking some time this morning. And as this is airing, it is coming up on the holidays, most specifically Thanksgiving here in the US. I know you two have already celebrated your big Thanksgiving. Is that correct?
2: That is correct.
0: I'm an ignorant American. I admit it. I'm really not paying attention to things like Boxing Day and Thanksgiving a month earlier. But you know, it's all good, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think
1: <laughs> we, we like to keep you Americans on your
2: feet. <laughs>
0: Well, we're slower down here, so everything's a little bit later. But Kathy, seriously, I am so excited, and I want your energy to shine through, and I want you to tell us all about Redwood Classics Apparel and your story and manufacturing and decoration. And so, for you and I to get together on this discussion, it's kind of like two apparel nerds slightly geeking out, and then dragging Mark with us. You know what I mean? Well, he's
2: actually an apparel nerd as well, in hiding.
0: I know he is. <laughs> he likes to hide. Yeah, it, he, though, does, doesn't he, he does. He does. Well, this is definitely like three buddies hanging out and friends getting together. So I'm so glad we could catch up. Obviously, I do have a few questions prepared, but you know, Mark's really, really good at taking the conversation into a place that I didn't expect. And I think that's just his curious nature. And so don't be surprised. But I will say this, watch out for question 18B. (laughs) That's the one that's always the crunch. It's the killer. (laughs) I'm a little bit more simple, though. You know, the the Americans are just kind of like right at you. Just like, hey, what's the deal? And, you know, that's how we roll. On that note, let's roll. Let's roll. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Kathy, let's roll. So, Kathy, one of the things that I know I'm interested in knowing more about is the relationship between the two companies. And I don't want to confuse other people, but it was a little confusing for me the first time I met you about three years ago. I was trying to figure out, well, which company is she from? Is it W.S. & Co., or is it Redwood Classics? Is it both? So maybe you could just kind of start there and tell us about, you know, it's only taken, what, 30 years to get to this point, maybe more?
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So Redwood Classics is owned and operated by W.S. & Company, and W.S. & Company is one of Canada's full-service leading apparel manufacturers. Redwood Classics. I founded in 2010, and it really was to provide promotional and retail distributors with high quality garments that are handcrafted in North America and that were very well priced and very well valued. I should put. I would say in 2010, essentially, long and short of our family history and our family business is that in 1988, my father had founded a small sewing contracting company and that's all we did. We, with five people and 10 machines, and we started off private label for a well-known retailer, a Canadian retailer originally, by the name of Club Monaco, Mm -hmm. which I know Club Monaco was bought by Polo Ralph Lauren in the late 90s. So we'll say we started off with Club Monaco doing private label, before you know it, fast forward, late 90s, and we're directly employing close to 500 people. And we've turned into a real Full service apparel manufacturer where we had a knitting mill, we had embroidery, screen printing, cut and sew, and this was 500, close to 500 direct employment, all done locally in Toronto within three facilities, totaling close to 200,000 square feet. So, you know, you want to talk about scaling and manufacturing and full service, we were it.
0: That's amazing.
2: It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Definitely a big part of our family legacy that I'm very, very proud of. I would say basically in 2001, December 2001, China joins WTO, quotas get lifted, and globalization goes in full swing. And by 2008, it was the global financial recession. And at that time, the truth of the matter was the business landscape could no longer support the infrastructure and basically the size and the factory that we had built and scaled to. So at that point, we were facing a family decision. Do we retire like most textile families have? Mm -hmm. Or do we continue fighting this battle of offshore makers? The irony of our business and our family business is we are a Chinese immigrant family that is trying to sustain and combat offshore production, all done in Canada. Isn't that amazing?
0: (laughs) I know. You've told me that before. And that is so cool. It's such a cool perspective.
2: So the family decision was, do we continue to do this or do we retire and change industries like most textile families have? And it came back to our people and it came back to our love of gratefulness and knowing that we would not live, we probably would not be living the life that we do now or did at that time if we were still back home in Hong Kong. Yeah. And it really is to thank, you know, this amazing country that's given us so much. I am so proudly Canadian, so proud to be North American and very grateful for all the opportunities that the country has given us an opportunity to not just us from a socioeconomic perspective, upgrade ourselves, but, you know, the number of other immigrants that have come to this country and we've onboarded as part of our family of makers.
0: I am so touched and impressed by that background and that story. And so let's keep that going. Would it be fair to say, I don't want to say reinvented, but you came through that decision. Were those some of the seeds of starting Redwood Classics and reinventing a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So 2008 happens, we're faced with this decision and we weren't sure what we were going to do, but my dad then asked me to be his business partner. and so. Come 2009, I said yes and became my father's business partner and we humbly restructured with 40 people and we moved into one of the factories that we had outgrown back in the 90s and just put our head down and, you know, wanted to continue to make it in Canada. It was not an easy decision. It was not an easy task, I would say. But this is also the birth of Redwood Classics because we do not work on contracts. The factory, WS and company specializes in private label for a number of higher retail and designer and wholesale brands. Very cool. So without a contract, how do I ensure that we keep our makers working? Because that's the main reason why we decided to restructure, right? right? Is to be able to have employment and to be able to give back by ways of taxation, by ways of employment, and to give back to our community and our country. And so to keep our people working, we were like, okay, we've always had a stock program. We never branded ourselves, And what had happened with the stock program was, you know, you're getting the same level of quality that we're making for other brand names. Mm -hmm. However, the factory itself didn't have a brand name. And so I founded Redwood as our factory's brand name. And Redwood Classics really has helped us become an omni-channel apparel supplier. When you have WS that specializes in private label manufacturing for better retail and designer wholesale brands, Redwood Classics now comes in and we are a premium in-stock blanks program, whereby branded merchandise distributors can offer high-end quality, retail quality, domestically made, off-the-shelf premium lifestyle apparel to their corporate end-users. Yeah. And what's also great is because the factory owns and operates Redwood, we now are able to offer white label services for as low as 12 units to our retail and designer brands. So right now in our blanks program, it's not just in the branded merchandise distributors that are pulling from the program. I also have a number of very high profile retail and designer brands, more predominantly in the streetwear market. Cool that are also pulling from our in-stock program because the quality is there. The turnaround is quick. It's all made in Canada and it's great value. Mm-hmm.
1: Kathy, I remember because you and I go back, I would say almost 20 years now mm-hmm. that we first met when it was Wingsun or WS&Co yeah. back in the day, pre-Redwood. Yes. And I think from a customer's perspective, what represented a really good shift for us as a customer is that Wingson at the time, I don't think was really set up to service the promotional products market in a terribly efficient way. <laughs> I remember lots of spirited debates with your old sales manager looking for stock. And I just remember he just never really fully understood this weird distributor model that was coming in looking for inventory. I always just remember it being a bit of a struggle. And of course, you were there to always smooth things out, Kathy, you were wonderful. And then I think that you took those learnings from those interactions and then packaged it together in this really beautiful package at Redwood circa 2008, 2009. And then we're able to really kind of recalibrate and focus on this particular channel, understanding that distributors don't have contracts. They need inventory yesterday. They need to have a reliable price point, so on and so forth. And that's just fundamentally different than a Roots or a Club Monaco that's coming to you and forecasting their needs 12 months in advance and is giving you a big contract that you can bank on.
2: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, let's clarify. We met when we were five, 20 years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. (laughs) On the playground.
2: Yes, on the playground. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think When we met, I didn't know what promotional product was or branded merchandise. And even after we restructured, you know, then I started to really look at it and I went, wait a second. Oh, that's what Mark does. That's what this is. And there was a lot of lessons learned and taking from the history of the experience of a blanks program and realizing, oh my goodness, we never had a brand, the factory. And really, the inspiration above and beyond the promotional product industry that inspired me was when we were 40 people. And you know Mm. how it is when you're an entrepreneur, you are the everything, right? So I would answer phone calls and I would get these calls from end users that would look up our CA number 19247 and say, I bought this sweatshirt 10 years ago. I absolutely love it. I've worn it a hundred times. I've watched it a million times. I love the quality. Where do we get more? Mm -hmm. And I started getting more and more of these calls. And you got to understand, this is during the recession. So you're going, huh, wait a second. Well, my clothes are very well valued, but we're not the cheapest one in the marketplace. And so, you know, that was another light bulb as well going, well, even if we're a niche player, if we can be the top of game in a niche market, we're happy. Because you got to understand, we just want to create jobs. I just want to be able to sustain manufacturing locally. Right. And even though we do act local, we're very global. So a lot of my products at that time as well, even prior to 2009, we're already exporting globally. So I just thought, okay, there's an opportunity here. I'm not sure what the opportunity is. Let's dig deeper into the promotional product place, which is what we did came to market, had a brand name. And I remember going to trade shows and I would bring my samples and we had a lookbook at that time. People called them catalogs, but I'd have a lookbook and I would pass out that lookbook and I'd say, everything in this lookbook is made in Canada. And people would look at me like I was an alien with five heads because they'd be like, (laughs) huh? Like they were so confused. They're like, oh, so like you've got one thing in here. And I'm like, no, the entire lookbook. Everything is made in Canada. Hmm. And it was just something that didn't happen in this industry. And I just felt like there was a niche because not only was it made in Canada, it was also really amazing quality. It was quality. That's the other niche that I noticed in this marketplace, you know, 10 years ago, was there was hardly any, there were a lot of retail brands, but are those retail brands? the product that you're buying through this channel, are you able to find it in the stores?
0: Yeah, oftentimes not.
2: So we kind of did the opposite, right? We came into this marketplace with amazing retail quality, premium quality that you would find at the stores, but you may not find the brand name.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
2: So we kind of took an opposite approach to it. But I believe that's how we've built the community is we've been pretty honest about the product. My humble opinion, I think there's, A lot of generalists, not necessarily enough specialists. So I've always prided ourselves in being a specialist. And we're a specialist and if you're looking for premium fleece and jersey, domestically made, great value, I'm very proud to put ourselves out there.
0: And you should be. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You've earned that spot. You've earned that position. It didn't come overnight.
2: Thank you. I think it's not just me. It's definitely our makers. It's our family. It's the community. Right. And it's, you know, someone such as yourself, Mark, and even you, Jay, because you believed in the quality and you were willing to give it an opportunity. I always say to our distributor partners, I know lowest hanging fruit is price. But if you go in there with good, better, best, allow Redwood Classics to be your best. This is how we've been growing over the last many years is allowing the product to speak for itself.
0: When something has that experience, that refined craftsmanship, that 30 years of love pouring into it, it shows. It's obvious. You know, I've always felt like, Kathy, this wasn't a prepared question, but I'm really curious to get your take on this. Of course, I'm stuck down here in the lower 48. I've always thought, you know, just because something is a retail brand does not mean by any stretch in so many cases that it is high quality. And when I first saw your line, I was like, what is this? <laughs> this is amazing. Thank you. This isn't anything I'd seen, you know? So for me, it was completely new. Again, being the naive, unrefined American. I not say that. But it was so impressive. It was the craftsmanship was easily and instantly identifiable. So when I started to learn your story, I was like thinking about this from the retail brands I was familiar with and thinking, I can't even think of a retail brand that would compare. So sometimes I think it's interesting that we, on the apparel decorating site, the branded merchandising side, we think just because something is retail, that it is high quality. It's not, right? I mean, you know what, you know what I'm saying? My question to you is kind of like, you seem to have raised the bar even above that.
2: Thank you. I think we've just been really product focused and very true to our North Star. You know, our North Star are our makers. I mean, that's the reason why I became my dad's business partner was because I wanted to give back to my makers, my aha moment where I realized I've had this phenomenal life because of our makers. And then to realize because of this country, like it's just our North star is to focus on what we think we're great at. And I'm not going to lie. I do recognize at times some People may feel like, oh, we're not easy to work with. It's not that we're not easy to work with. What I do believe is that we're confident enough in our product to stay in our lane and know what we're great at and know what we're not so great at. That's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. We're not greedy. I don't need to be you know, the biggest supplier or the biggest whatever. I need to be the top of my game. We need to be the best in class in our own class.
1: Wow. Yeah, Mark, are you writing any of this down? Because this is like gold. I've been a student of Kathy's for many years. It's like, I don't need to write it down because I've heard it on a number of occasions. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot to be said for that from the supplier perspective, but also on the distributor side. I think that the best distributors that you see in the promotional products industry are those that have picked a lane, have invested hard in that lane, and have achieved market leadership in that particular area and that's where the margins are that's where the loyalty is that's where the business growth is as opposed to this generalist distributor approach where they can get you anything and they can sell to any industry and i think that that's where you get a lot of the trouble the pk podcast will return right after this short break This podcast has been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and Sport Tech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to SANMAR's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. We are so grateful for the support from our community partners. Now back to the program. Kathy, I, I wanted to ask you about your distribution in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're in Toronto, you're proudly made in Canada, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm but you've got this you know, huge, huge market just south of you. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your business approach in the U.S. in terms of distribution, how you work with the U.S. distributor base.
2: How we work with the U.S. distributor base. Well, first of all, at the factory level, about 50% of the product that we make is actually exported outside of Canada. Our product line is available globally, and we may act local, but we really think global. In terms of how we approach the distributorship, specifically the branded merchandise distributor model in the U.S. is we are available, but we're looking for the right partners to partner with. And I mean, distributor partners. I mean, the U.S. is so big. We just can't be everything to everyone and we don't necessarily want to be.
1: But you would also say the same thing in Canada, too. Sorry to jump in. Your approach in Canada would be to go after a specific kind of distributor here as well. Is that not true?
2: That is true. Again, it's not necessarily the size of distributor that we're looking for more than it is if our values align. And we're very fortunate, Redwood Classics, as a supplier within the branded merchandise space because fortunately, it's not our end-all and be-all. This is one of the many marketplaces that we service. So it gives us that luxury and we have the autonomy to be able to find the right partners. And when we find the right distributor partners in the branded merchandise arena, you know, we go deep. We don't have to go wide. You can go deep because the truth of it is not every portfolio of end user brands, corporates are able to or want to invest in quality and have premium goods. With that, I think we're really poised for growth. I'm super excited. I'm excited because Canada is the most trade-friendly country of all of the G7 members. I mean, Canada is the only G7 country To have trade agreements with other G7 countries. We have big trade agreements such as the new NAFTA, which is USMCA. We also have CETA, which is the Canada European Union Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement. We have access to Trans-Pacific through CPTT. The fact that we're made in Canada allows us to be a global player within not just in the branded merchandise space, but also in just becoming an apparel manufacturer and apparel supplier globally to many brands, let it be a retail brand or let it be a corporate brand.
0: Impressive, impressive indeed. So I've really been hanging on your every word listening because I have taken some notes and I want to get back to that crossroads of how you highlight the craftsmanship and the experience and that maker mentality and then also combine it with technology. So it's like this crossroads between here's technology intersecting with the craftsmanship. How does that impact Redwood Classics? How do you take both, which is kind of like an old world meets new world, and then develop this amazing line? Is that part of your success? Does that create friction when you have old world meets new world? What do you think, Kathy?
2: In my humble opinion, you need friction. For innovation to happen. And I'm expressing that in the sense where I also believe innovation lies within multiple silos of approaches, right? So let it be old school, new school, let it be generation, let it be cultural, let it be gender. You know, I think taking a diverse approach and then an inclusive consideration in the way you run your business is very important. So for example, inside our plant, I think is what makes us innovate. We help our brand partners deliver the best of the best through our processes and delivered product and quality. And that's how we're doing it. But we're highly dependent on the expertise and the knowledge and the experience of our domestic apparel production. You know, we've been proudly producing on Canadian soil since 1988. And it's including all of our brand partners, as well as feedback from our distributors. And as Mark said, when we met, when we were five, <laughs> 20 years later, I'm still calling on Mark because he's giving me insight in yourself, Jay. I mean, when we were in Chicago, we chatted quite a bit. I take all that insight, which is from the external, right? And bring it into our building here right, and look for innovation. And we're solving problems because everything starts with a problem. I mean, let it be, that's the spirit of entrepreneurship, right? Innovation and entrepreneurship is, what is our problem? So the newest project that we've launched is our SAOP, which is sustainable all over print. Super excited about that. That actually originated from a problem. And the problem was we had a luxury retailer about two, three years ago looking for digital print, but on cotton, because with Redwood, we are very much focused on natural fiber. So we're very cotton-based in terms of our apparel and the, the material that we use here. And so as you know, Jay, because you're an expert in digital print, digital print is typically on polyester. Otherwise, you can't get the vibrancy. But we were challenged with this problem. They wanted to do digital print. We did a few runs. We had, let's say, an expensive lesson in realizing, oh, well, it's very different when you're looking for vibrancy, sustainability of the fabrication and the ink and all of that to stick on cotton. Mm-hmm. And not only are we doing cotton, it's actually knitted cotton fabric, which makes it even more challenging. So after a number of R&D, I've traveled to various continents to look at different operations. And we've now found this current technology and we're one of the first ones in Canada to own this technology. And I can proudly say we're probably the only one in Canada that has this as part of our full-service apparel manufacturing value chain. So we're trying to be as sustainable and as full-service as possible as an apparel manufacturer.
1: We'll edit this part out. I was just going to jump in and say, Kathy, I wanted to give you a shout-out and saying that I'm actually wearing my SKU Camp Pittsburgh all over print skew bot shirt right now. Yeah. And it is awesome.
2: Isn't it? Like you don't even feel the ink. And <laughs> how many times have you washed it?
1: Hey,
0: don't edit that out. <laughs> don't edit that out. That That's taken Kathy five years of her life to figure out. It's I mean,
2: And I can't say it's been alone, right? Like it's, that's where it goes back to the innovation. And we keep coming back to the drawing board right. because before we invested in this huge investment, we've tried different providers and the different providers we'd come back and then we're doing wash tests. My father, who manages the production of our business, if we were to calculate the expertise that's surrounding him and his executive team, we have over a century of domestic experience with his three executives. And including my father, we're like, you know, 150 years kind of thing, which is crazy. And we have access to that. Yeah. And then we've got new people and not new, but we've got within my building, let's just say when I say friction is required to some degree is you have to embrace it because we've got gender differences. We've got generational differences. I've got arguably four generations under one roof from new grads to some of our expert makers that have been in this industry for ages and ever and with textiles it's not something like you could learn through reading a book you really need to have that hands-on experience and that's why if you ever call redwood classics i call them apparel specialists they're not a customer service person part of the training is they need to understand the difference between you know a fleece and the french terry and i remember when i first came to market going across canada bringing my samples and talking to different distributors I've had some great feedback and some of the feedback was, oh my goodness, you actually know what you're talking about. You know your products. And that really stuck to me. <laughs> <laughs> that really, really stuck to <laughs> Sorry, me. And that's I'm why laughing. for me, it's so important as part of our process and our onboarding training is that you need to understand the product. Right. And we're really fortunate. And I think what we're really lucky about is when we onboard, they can actually go to the back. They get to talk to our makers they get to meet the makers. They see all the action that's happening behind the scenes. And that is something that is very unique in terms of a work environment. But I also think it helps ramp people up really quickly too. I think Even myself, I learn something new every day at the factory because there's just always something new that happens. It's textiles.
0: Yeah. And you learn from the limitations too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me how, as you framed it so well about entrepreneurship and the friction and you know, figuring out a problem that solved the problem mentality, the technology of printing and digital printing and all of that, that's such a baby. I mean, that's like we're 15 years into direct a garment printing with water based inks on cotton. And 15 years, that's mm-hmm. it. You guys have been in business. Longer than that. You know, <laughs> your your dad has been making, you know, amazing work in your team for 30 probably more years. So it's funny to see this quote, innovation almost catching up. And just because you can doesn't always mean you should. Mm -hmm. And I know you went through that with all of the samples and all of the time and all the energy. And I only say that because when we last sat down together in Chicago, you were kind enough. (laughs) And I was super excited to see your projects and what you were developing. And I was blown away. I mean, I was like peppering you with questions. (laughs) Like, Wait, you're not pre-treating this? How is that even possible?
2: That's the thing. This new technology is so much more sustainable. It's print on demand. That's designed to minimize fabric and ink waste.
0: It's- Let me pause you right there for just a second, because okay. that is such a huge, huge point. I don't want to skip over that. Print on demand and the sustainability. Yeah. More people need to get that, Mark. How do we get that message out? It's an advantage. It's an advantage for an embroiderer, for a screen printer, for a promotional product distributor to understand those principles.
2: Yeah. It's similar to buying offshore and onshore kind of pricing, right? I always encourage people when you're looking at pricing, don't just look at your FOB costs. With globalization and tariff and logistics is really expensive nowadays. So look at your net net. At the end of the day, what are your opportunity costs and what are your resources required? Sure, your FOB price coming from China or coming from Bangladesh or wherever it may be may sound very, very attractive, but do the math when you're sourcing. What is your net net at the end of the day? And C, do I rather work with someone who speaks the same language? Do I rather work with a supplier that's on the same timeline as me? Am I working with someone where I can actually go if I wanted to? Like for example, a number of our designer brands are based out of New York. They fly out here. They fly out in the morning out of New York. They get to my factory by early morning. They spend the day, we pass over the whole season, go through any questions we have, and they're on a flight back to New York in the afternoon. They basically leave at seven, get home at seven, yeah. as opposed to offshore and you're sourcing, you're losing at least a week. So they're investing in you know, 12 hours versus seven days with 12 hours of traveling at least. So when I encourage people to look at where your source of your products are coming from, You got to look at the net net to do the business math.
1: Well, I think that it's the same argument you would make for supporting promotional product suppliers as opposed to finding product offshore with a factory direct. It's the same issue around pricing issues and surprises, time zone, language challenges, product safety, all that kind of stuff. So I think, Kathy, what you're ultimately getting at is if there's a premium on buying made in Canada or buying made in the U.S. or supporting... A local promotional products supplier, that premium in many cases is worth it for peace of mind for product safety, and that's why we've got such a thriving industry. And I think that it, it's a bit of a segue, Kathy, that I have to another question for you is how are you finding the made in Canada value proposition with distributors that will say that's great, Kathy, but the Gildan nine thousand is three times cheaper than yours. There's just no way I could possibly get my client to move. And I make that analogy because a Gildan 9000 is not the Alibaba direct from China factory. That's also very reliable and a promotional products distributor can source that very easily through a network of great suppliers. And I know the answer to this, but I want you to share with our listeners is to how it is that you respond with that very valid concern about price difference and how it is that you move a significantly more expensive product to a customer that might just be looking at dollars and cents.
2: Well, as I had mentioned earlier, I would always, and I do encourage distributors to go into every meeting with your good, better, and best. Yeah. They may have a Gildan budget, but bring in a Gildan, bring in a mid-level and you know, bring in your you know, best. And allow the end user to speak for itself. They're going to look at the budget. They're going to be able to touch and feel it. But that's where I feel like Redwood has taken a different approach in terms of getting our brand out there. We may, through our social channels, through our messaging, we speak to the direct consumer, but we don't sell directly to corporates. So we're a tier two in the corporate apparel space. We only work through our distribution channels. And even though, you know, when I'm out there at supplier diversity events, it's the same thing. Like I have access to a number of corporations, but I will not sell directly to them. And I tell them to go through the distribution channel. Why? Because I am telling our story to the end user. And even if you follow us on all of our social channels, it's the same thing. Every Friday, we have a hashtag factory Friday. I encourage everyone to follow it because we want to tell you what's behind the scene. And so we're speaking to the consumer, but we don't sell directly to the consumer. And why is that helpful for us? Because we also know our product. I also am very confident in our product. So if you go in with good, better, best, there's also a brand recognition of your product being the best and having the transparency of what you do and having your value, like with an end user understanding your value proposition of your brand, that's also going to help us. Yeah. And so again, I always say to distributors, it's not your responsibility to sell my product. All I'm asking you is to go in with a good, better, best. Yeah. Ultimately, don't apologize to me that that order didn't get closed with me as long as your client is happy. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, sleeves client is just as much my client as it is your client. So I would encourage all suppliers and distributors to kind of go into those relationships holistically and understand that in order for me to get paid, you need to get paid. And as a distributor, in order for you to get paid, the customer's gotta be happy. Yep. So if we can conduct our business and allow our North Star, which is to make the client happy and make sure that the products you put out there that you're proposing is aligned with their values, I think that's really a great start.
1: Well, and I think that's such a clever approach, and it's certainly one that I was successful with back in my Former distributor days. is kind of weird for me to say that, but uh, it's changed over the last little bit. Um, but I certainly still feel I got that distributor DNA. I don't think I'll ever lose it. But I can tell you that going into a client, let's say you've got a client that has always bought Gildan from you, has always had that beer budget as opposed to the champagne budget. Going in and showing them what they've always bought and saying, hey, listen, we can continue doing this. The Gildan 9000 is fantastic. But let me show you this other piece. This other piece is going to be X percent more expensive. And here's how we might be able to use this. Take a look at this. I can tell you from direct experience that half the time the customer would say, are you kidding me? That thing is a ripoff, way too expensive. Here's my PO for a guild and order. I walk out, I'm happy as the distributor, I landed that sale. Mm -hmm. The other half of the time, the customer would either go, why have you been selling me this garbage for the last X number of years. Why didn't you show me this sooner? And I would say the other scenario is a hybrid where they go, okay, listen, we've got a beer budget for X amount of product, and we've got a champagne budget for a smaller amount of product. Let's try this for the executives or some of our VIP customers. And what I often found is that there was an expansion of the budget that I was able to get because I just went in with a higher quality product. And Kathy, it might've been yours, or if it was in the case of hard goods. I would always bring that approach. And I think that's kind of sales 101 because you're not telling your customer, oh, bad news, no more Gildan at 10 bucks. Now you have to buy this made in Canada fancy piece for 20. You're not saying that at all. You're just giving them another option. And buyers love choice, not too much choice, but they love a little bit of choice that is aspirational and that shows them that there's more that they can sink their teeth into.
2: Absolutely.
1: That was a killer sales approach that all of us took at the company.
2: For people that I speak to and they're like, really? I I would ask them, I would challenge them. Why are you limiting your own earning potential? Exactly.
1: There's no downside. There's no downside.
2: Yeah. Why would you? It's not your fault if they don't pick it, but why would you only go in with a good or better? Why wouldn't you go in with good, better, best and roll the dice? Because most distributors are really entrepreneurial and that's what you do as an entrepreneur. You take risks. So take that risk, which does have very little downside other than they say no to you and they're going to end up still buying something from you. So why limit your own margins? Why limit your earning potential by not bringing in a good, better, best?
0: Well, listen, I thank you, Mark. And thank you, Kathy. So far, it's been awesome. I can't wait to listen to this myself and hear all of this wisdom from both of you. And I want to get back to Kathy the last time we were talking again. I was lucky enough, and I want to open up that window for the listeners. I was lucky enough to see some of the Current projects and some of the trends that you were thrilled about and excited about. Maybe you could give us a little sneak peek into 2020, anything that you are developing that you're excited about. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear you spend some time on print on demand and why personalization or anything that's really caught your eye. I think our listeners would love to hear, and I know I would too.
2: Oh, thank you. One of the projects that we did speak about was our Green Holiday Collection, which is where we've taken landfill-destined apparel, clothing, textiles, and upcycled it and gave it a brand new life. And again, everything is made in Canada. Everything is unique. There's been quite a bit of interest in that. And I think we'll continue, not necessarily in holiday, but we will continue that trend. I wouldn't call it a trend. I would say In the fashion industry, you know, we talk about sustainability quite a bit. I know the word sustainability gets thrown around quite a bit. In the promo industry as well, I would start off by saying, hey, every individual, every organization, please define what sustainability means to you. Yeah, That's the first and foremost, because my biggest fear, we're going to use the word sustainability and just greenwash it like we did with eco. So in terms of Redwood Classics, our sustainability is twofold. One is environmental impact. So the fact that we are made locally, about 60% of the raw material that we consume at the factory level is knitted with a hundred miles radius of our factory. Super duper proud of that. And as well, our upcycling program where we're taking landfill-destined vintage and textiles and bringing it and giving it a brand new life. And to be able to incorporate that into the corporate apparel space is phenomenal. We've done a couple of projects where we've won multiple green and eco awards because we're really looking at the supply chain and the consumption of products in a holistic point of view.
0: I got to jump in. The disadvantage of the podcast is, is we can't see that. The amazing thing I can say is I got yeah. to see those. They were so sharp, Kathy. They were so cool. <laughs> I wish we could show them yeah. somehow.
2: They are on our website now. And so we want to continue on that spirit, take that spirit and continue on. I know Common Skew had mentioned, or the industry, actually, not just Common Skew, the industry, there was a bit of, uh, you know, blah about how swag is not sustainable. People are giving away things that they're going to throw and add to landfill. Well, we're combating that. We're doing the opposite of that. We're saying, hey, this is a problem, and this is going back to the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. This is a problem that's been identified. Is it really? We're not sure. But if there are talks of that, then allow us to be a solution.
0: Yeah. Well, what's cool about that, Kathy, is that to me, that's not one of your trends. I love how you framed that and phrased it as the spirit of Redwood Classics. It's like part of your DNA. It's what you guys are going to be known for years after this. I know we're short on time, but is there a printing technique or is there a something else maybe on the horizon, a trend that is kind of in the trend space? Like you've noticed A is more popular right oh, now yeah. than B or something like that.
2: All over print is definitely it. I think our twist to it is ours is a sustainable all over print, but all over print, let it be on polyester or let it be on cotton is definitely something that we're seeing a huge demand and a trend for. I think if you're looking for inspirations, I would... Really recommend distributors to pay attention to streetwear. Streetwear is really where the influence starts. And, you know, back in the day, it might be coming down the runway or it might be high fashion, but it's become such a hybrid. And streetwear has influenced so much on fashion itself from, you know, Louis Vuitton and Moschino. Like, if you look at any of the high luxury brands, they have all been influenced by streetwear and i do not see that trend or that influence subsiding whatsoever if anything it'll even be more so and if you look at our corporate apparel space or if you look at our branded merchandise industry you'll start seeing that if you haven't already is it casual fridays anymore not really if you look at tech like you know you want to look good as a tech you show up with really nice joggers killer sneakers a badass hoodie. And that is your power suit,
0: <laughs> right? It's true. It is true. And my dad would never get that, but it is hundred percent true.
2: It is hundred percent true. And so I'm super excited because that's what we really represent. And it's about the quality yeah. of it. Yeah. You can tell a difference where I can, when I see someone wearing a good versus a best, it's yeah. little things in the quality. It's the way it sits on you, the material, if you touch and feel it, it's the construction. you know what we think are minor details i believe luxury is in the details let it be in construction or let it be in the material of the apparel
1: well there's never been a greater time i think for our industry when it comes to dressing corporate north america in a way that's not slumpy but in contrast is aspirational i mean you look at retail brands like everlane comes to mind of course they're not in their promotional products industry but this whole idea of promoting the beautiful t-shirt and a crew neck sweatshirt or a hoodie that you could get away with at work that doesn't make you look like you're in college, but makes it look like you've invested in yourself. And when I look at parallels between say Redwood and say an Everlane, who knows, you may even make for Everlane. <laughs> um, but it's or like Bonobos is another good example. And that's really exciting. I don't think that we've seen that in our industry up until now, because in the past, apparel has primarily been seen as promotional, whereas now it's really dressing how people come into work each and every day. And that's exciting. Absolutely. Outside of Jay's dad, of course, who well, is probably <laughs> wonderful, but maybe old school in that respect. If it's on sale at Costco, he's interested.
0: I'll put it to you that way.
2: I think there's a marketplace. And if I look forward to the future... You'll find, and even if you look historically over the last couple of decades, the companies that who, you know, as big as they are now, they were looking for a niche and they started off as a niche, right? Yep. And then you look at ways to scale that niche market and you continue to build that community. Yeah. And that's what I always say about Redwood Classics. We're very fortunate. We don't go wide, we go deep. Yeah. But what's also good with distributors that way, that our distributor partners that recognize we don't go wide, is that then they're going to the marketplace was something unique
1: yeah. and focused
2: and focused, yeah. unique and focused. Yeah. Right. And again, we're not greedy. It's not, it's, we don't need to be the largest. We don't need to be the most distributed. I need to be able to sleep at night and our makers need to be proud of every product that leaves this building. Yeah. That to us is so important.
1: That's your purpose. That's so well defined. I love it. Well, Kathy, this was such a pleasure. I mean, so much to rip into and I know. I uh, just wanted to thank you on behalf of the entire PK community. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate we would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.